27 times in the book of Proverbs, you'll see the word Lord, or we'll see, you'll see the Lord mentioned in various places, sometimes more than one time in a verse. But in the book of Proverbs, there is no other time where you'll see seven verses in a row where God is mentioned. Now, um, that anomaly is something at least worth looking at. Um, it's not so much, in fact, the Proverbs are not so much as, as they were laid out for specific lessons, but it seems like perhaps uh, there is a little bit of an intent here for us to focus on God. And uh, I hope you'll be challenged as I have been challenged uh, about these seven verses because they teach us really ultimately that we, we need God. We really do need God. And so uh, we're going to look at that again this evening. Let's pray and ask God to uh, direct our steps. Uh, Father, we do need you, and uh, we need your uh, understanding and wisdom as we look at these Proverbs. And I pray that uh, we would be helped this evening and that we would be stirred about how much, how dependent upon we are upon you uh, for all of life, in every area of life, in every way that we live life, we need you. And, um, and I pray that you stir us about that and help us to see um, you in your glory and your power and your might, see what you can do and see what you expect, and just uh, teach us some valuable lessons now from this pro these Proverbs. And we'll thank you for it. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Back in 1994, Reuters News Service told the story of a London accountant. This accountant had a phobia of doctors and hospitals. We've been talking about some medical things here. He took his fear to an extreme, though, and you say, how? Well, let me tell you. This 63-year-old guy knew he badly needed bladder surgery, but he could not overcome his fear, so he did what had to be done. He tried to perform the surgery on himself. Yeah, yeah. Well... In the process, he got an infection from his work, and he later died. And the coroner said of this in the, in the newspaper report, for, unfortunately, his drastic remedy went wrong. A simple operation could have solved his problem. The person who shared the article said this, just as this man didn't trust doctors or hospitals, Many people don't trust God. In their self-reliance, they ultimately destroy themselves like this man destroyed his life. And that observation is true. Uh, many lives are ruined because people are not willing to put their trust in God or in his word. And in these seven verses, very simple verses, Proverbs, uh, God shares with us a number of things about himself. And we're reminded, I believe, that self-reliance is a destructive to a Christian. Now, last week, we contemplated the first two of the seven things. We contemplated that you need God's sufficiency or God's supply in the plans and actions of life. Look at verse 1. The preparations of the heart and man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We share with you the fact that, that um, there is some variances and some ideas about how this verse is to be understood. Some people like to picture it as if God is doing everything, but that's not really the picture that the language gives us. This proverb points us to the fact 
that uh, uh, we need to surrender to God if we want God's guidance because the preparations of the heart are within man. That's the idea of that first phrase, that God has given men the ability to reason, to think, and uh, has given us, by the way, a responsibility with that ability to reason and to think, to make plans, uh, to, to live life wisely, and to, uh, and to make right decisions in that regard. God has granted us that gift, if you would, um, and we are to use it. But uh, we also are told in that verse, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That ultimately, if we're going to make the right decisions, if we're going to go down the right path, although God has given us the ability to make decisions and to make choices and to lay out plans in life, we ultimately need God. And we need to see that and understand that truth. Second thing we learned, and from uh, verse 2, point number 2, uh, we learned about the danger of self-deception. All the ways of man are clean in its own eyes, but the Lord weigheth to spirits. And we're reminded in this passage that, you know, there is a tendency in mankind, we always justify our actions. In fact, there's very few times someone will come to you and say something like, you know, well, you shouldn't be doing that. And we say, oh, yeah, you're right. Now, I know that happened at least a few times with, like, our kids. If they made the comment, like, oh, maybe when they were real little, you know, well, Daddy, they're smoking, and smoking's bad, you know, or something to that effect. We had those situations at least a few different times. And, uh, and, our ki- and you know, the people would say, in fact, I think every time it was ever said, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't smoke, you know. So they're actually agreeing. But very few times does that happen. Most people justify their actions. We, we have a tendency to do that, and we need God's help. Help us see when we are deceiving ourselves and, and uh, let God, if you would, reveal to us what our heart is like because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? All right, so now we pick up in verse 3, Roman numeral 3 in your outline, if you picked one of those up or if you had one from last week. And uh, in verse 3, we see, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Again, the Lord comes into play here, and we are told that we need to surrender to God to have God's guidance. Do you see that? Commit thy works to the Lord, and what's going to be the result? Thy thoughts shall be established. Okay, let, let's explain it, and let's, let's get an understanding. What does it mean to commit? Or I must commit. I put it that way in the outline. I must commit. All right, but what does that mean? What does it mean to commit your works unto the Lord? What's that? Allow him to have control. Very good. Were you going to add to that? Okay, to do it for him, to do what he wants, all right, I think that would be good as well. It's kind of an interesting word. The word commit means to roll, literally means to roll. And it's, it's, it's kind of this idea that someone's taking a heavy, a heavy weight off of themselves because they're weak and they're giving it to someone else. And in this picture, then, it would be that we're to commit, we're to take the heavy weight, if you would, of our works, and we're to roll them onto God. That's the picture given in verse 3. I must commit. It's this idea of, of surrendering to God. I am taking uh, on my, from my weak back 
this, these plans and all these things I have and I need to commit and surrender them to God, to someone who's stronger and more able than I am. I think the New Testament picture, and it's not dealing with exactly the same thing, but 1 Peter 5, 7. Someone know what it is? You're right. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. That gives us the same idea. Now, that verse deals with cares, worries, anxieties. But our text is actually dealing with actions and activities. And the idea is that we're supposed to take our actions, our activities in life, and we're supposed to roll them because they're heavier than we can handle on God. And say, okay, God, I need you. I need you for, for the actions of today. Maybe even saying in, from verse 1, I've laid out my plans, Lord, and here are my thoughts, and this is what I'd like to see happen. But God, it's not going to happen unless you're my help. And so God, here I am. I'm rolling these things on you. Direct my life. Guide me today and give me the strength and help that I need. That gives us a good picture of what we need. So the point of the text is that um, uh, we just need God's direction, we need God's help, and we need God's guidance for all of life, and we need to surrender to him if we're going to expect that. Roll it on him. Okay, Lord, it's not, this is what I'm going to do, but God, direct me. Someone made a, an interesting comment. I like it. I, 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 it. When you think it through, it's, I think it's kind of profound. Sometimes in life, we don't know which bridges to burn or which ones to cross. Isn't that true? So I don't know the direction to take. We might have thoughts as to what is best, but God may very well have a better plan for me. God may have a different desire for my life. Something that I need to go through, something that I need to avoid. And so committing my works to God is the place where I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, I don't know whether to burn this bridge or whether to cross it. Direct me. I'm yours. And I'm willing to have my life directed. And I'll tell you that is a hard place to get to. Because as a Christian, I want to decide what, what bridge I'm going to cross and which bridge I'm going to burn. As a Christian, uh, and, and just as a human being, I want to make those decisions. And I don't want someone to tell me what to do, but I need to come to the place in life where I, I understand that God is the one who's going to best direct me. I roll it on you, God. So here's the, here's the way I could go. Here's the paths I could take today, Lord. And I'm just asking you to direct my steps. Um, okay, I hope they won't mind it. The days have been car shopping. Now they have a van. Um, I've been there at times, a lot of times. And sometimes... Um, it's confusing to know what direction to go. Am, am, am I right? It's like, what car should we get? Should we buy this one? Oh, this is a great deal. Well, every car is a great deal from a salesman's perspective. Um, you know, well, it's going to be gone tomorrow. You know, you'll hear all those stories. And sometimes you really don't know. And sometimes you can get caught up in, in all the emotions of that. And it's not just, it's not just them. It's, it's all of us. Um, not just the purchase of a car, but any purchase. Should I make it? Should I, um, should I get my refrigerator fixed, or should I? Is it old enough where I need to get a new one? 
Come on, don't you have a lot of decisions like that? What bridge should I cross? Which bridge should I burn? God, I need your help. Um, I need you to know what you want me to do. And our passage says, roll it on the Lord, place it in his lap, surrender your will and your wants to his control, to his path, to his plan for your life. And here's what you'll find. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and you tell me, what does God say? Okay, you're, so God will establish. So I must commit. I've got to roll it on God, and then God will establish. And the point is that when I roll my actions, plans, and counsels unto the Lord, when I surrender my will and my activities, and I say, okay, God, here it is. Here are the paths I can take. Here's the way I can go today. And I just, I'm asking you to lead and direct my life. I want your will. I want your plan. I want to know the path that's best. That when I do that, in those decisions and activities of life, as I roll my works on the Lord, consciously, willingly, with a heart of total surrender, then God directs my steps. And you know that's kind of consistent with a lot of different passages. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways, and all right, I want God's direction, but I've got to be willing to do the other things before it, don't I? And so it is in, in this passage that God will establish, God will guide my steps. So I make this conscious act of submission, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Psalm 37 teaches the very same truth that, we're, that is found in this passage. I need God, and I really need to come to the place where I just roll all the different events of life on him. I, I read a story, and I, I know it, it doesn't really apply, but I'm going to share it anyway. It's April 2017. Something unusual happened at, get this, believe it or not, a professional poker tournament, and it wasn't because I was watching it or I'm interested. I don't even know how to play the game. All right, just wanted to make that very clear with everyone here. But there was a pro, Gus Hansen, and he began the game. Again, I have no idea how it's played, but he began the game going all in, and he took all his chips and he put them in the middle of the table. And what was amazing about that, they said, in explaining this, was that he did it blind. He was betting $300,000, and he hadn't even looked at his cards. He had horrible cards, but he won because no one could believe that a guy would throw, put $300,000, oh, bought everything he had, out in the middle of the table without having a good hand. So he won. And with every hand after that, he continued going all in. In one of the early hands, it said he pushed the chips in. He peeked at his cards. He had two twos. His opponent had an ace and a jack. I don't know again what it all is. $600,000 was in the pot. The dealer dealt out another two. Hansen's winning streak continued. 16 minutes went by before he finally lost a hand. You know what they said about it? Here's what they said. Gus Hansen's strategy was thrilling but stupid. And you say, why? Because it was just a matter of time before he lost everything. Now, that move was absolutely foolhardy in a tournament. But that move 
is what God is describing in this passage. That I, I, I take all my chips and I give them to God. I say, God, you direct. Foolhardy in, in a game of poker, foolhardy in any game, but not when it comes to life because if I want God's direction, that's what God expects. Sometimes uh, I'm afraid that in life, we want to do things our own way, so we say, God, I'm going to choose my paths, and then you bless my paths, and that's not how it works. Do you see how that is laid out for us here? It's, it really is a, a, a powerful verse, and it's an important one to know. Um, number four, you've got to move on. I keep wanting to get hung up on this where I could, I could spend weeks on this, but we're not going to. So verse four says, The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Um, I put it this way. I need to rest in God's sovereignty. Um, This truth needs to be always in the mind of God's people. There are a lot of events of life that defy understanding. I can't can't understand and I, I can't begin to understand or explain how God's purposes could be accomplished on 9-11 when thousands of Americans died. Um, I can't understand, I can't explain how, how God can, can be at work and still ultimately in control when, when a man barges into a church in Texas and shoots down a bunch of people and takes a number of lives. There's a lot of things that we just don't understand in life. And that's when we kind of come to the place where we say, God, I, although I don't understand what's going on, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing in my life. I don't know why I'm going through this difficulty. I don't know why this situation is happening. I don't know why these things are taking place in America. Whatever it may be the case, we need to come to a place where we say, by faith, God is the God of creation. He's the God of all things. He's the Lord of lords. He's the creator of all. The Bible says he's made all things for himself. And even the wicked for the day of judgment. And I need to come to a place where I just accept by faith that truth, though I can't understand it. And let me tell you, there are times I don't. And there are times you won't. Haven't you had heartaches in life? Just didn't understand. Still don't understand. Why? Why me? Why is this happening? The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Think about this. Wicked men have been used in God's plan. Herod. We just just had Christmas season. Story of Herod and what he did to all the babies in the area around Bethlehem because he heard that the king of the Jews was born there by the wise men who went to Jerusalem saying, where is he that's born king of the Jews? And Herod said, come back. And they didn't because God warned them in a dream. So what did Herod do? You know, the, the Bible, actually it was a prophecy. Rachel was weeping for her children. Don't you think there was a lot of moms that just couldn't understand what God was doing? 
broken moms. That's all. The babies were taken and killed by a wicked man. God in control? Yeah. Can I explain it? No, but I do know this. Jesus would not have been the Christ if he didn't go into Egypt. He had to And there are a lot of events like that in life you can't grasp, you can't understand. It's good people that died on 9-11. Godly people. People who love the Lord. People who were willing to sacrifice their lives by going back into buildings that one had already come down and people were just trying to save folks. There's just a lot in life you can't understand. That's where we've got to come to a place where God is a sovereign God in control of all things and surrender to him. I need God. Can I tell you, I just need God in life. And Proverbs 16 powerfully reminds us of that fact. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Um, and this truth I have to accept by faith and rest in God's work, whatever that may entail for me, for those I love, because there's a God that's in control. I need to rest in God's sovereignty. I don't know. Has anyone been challenged by these Proverbs? Look at verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Do you know, it does not matter if a thousand people join hands with you in agreement that what you're doing is fine and right. If you're proud, God says this, look, I'll take care of it. I will punish you. You can count on that fact. I need, and I put it this way, God's attitude towards self-exaltation. You know, anyone with a little sense, just a little sense, knows God despises pride. Solomon reminds us of that fact in Proverbs 6. These six things that the Lord hate, yet seven are an abomination unto him. And you know where he starts with that? A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. James helps us see God's distaste for pride in James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, if we know God's attitude about it, then we need to make his attitude ours. So let me give you a proverb that tells you what that attitude should be. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. And so we're taught in this passage, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. I got to keep reminding myself of that fact. I got to remind myself of that fact. And you say, well, Christians don't struggle with that. What do you mean? Why would God write, he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble? 
if it isn't in our nature, in our tendency, human nature, in pride to lift ourselves up. In fact, we, we do that in our, in our works, on verse, as verse 3 reminds us. A lot of times we don't commit our works to the Lord because we think we can do a better job running it ourselves. Okay, I know you don't have that problem. But, you know, sometimes that just that ugly, wicked, vile sin of pride rears its ugly head. You know? I don't need church. I can make it on my own. I don't need God. I don't need to, I don't need to pray. A lot of things. I, I'm going to go my own way. I, th- I think this is the best path to take. And, and God says, look, anyone that is, is proud in heart um, is an abomination to the Lord. You know, it's not just proud in action. It's proud in heart. And that's also another problem. I, we, we can get off on and spend a little bit of time there. Because sometimes pride doesn't, pride doesn't always show itself in Trumpism. Come on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mr. Trump is proud, and he, he's proud to let you know he's proud. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm not like him. <laughs> And the truth is, I'm thankful you're not. And so is 90% of the country. Because you can't take much of that. But God says he hates just as much someone who's proud in heart. No one said anything about the blessing of the message this past week on the heart. No one said thanks for the special number. No one ever came up to me and said, I appreciate your teaching in class. Thanks, teacher. A lot of times it's just pride. Not getting recognition that I deserve. I think I'll go find another church. Pride. There's its ugly head in our, sometimes in our mind and we never show it outwardly. But in our heart, God says, even the proud in heart, God just despises, makes him sick. And you know, that's something that, I mean, look, I, I agree with the guy's policies and, and the great majority of his policies, but I really can't despise the bride. The thing is, it's interesting that we can despise it in someone else, but we're not willing to admit it in our own selves. And we don't have that attitude toward pride that rears its head in our heart. Like when, and here I go beating myself over the head again, when someone cuts in front of me and I say, well, who is he? How important is that guy that he has to pull in front of me and cut around three or four different people so that he can be, he can get to work faster than everyone else. We're all going to our place of work. Come on. And we don't, it's not an abomination when we think that way, but it's an abomination when Trump speaks that way. Is that, is that not interesting? Come on. Is that? And we need, to, we need to understand that any pride, God despises. Um, Proverbs 16, I, this anomaly is great. It really challenges us in, in many very practical ways to pray and understand. I, I, need, I need God's thinking. I need God for all of life. So whether it's my plans 
and rolling them on him and, and trusting him with all those plans, whether it's just resting in God's sovereignty. I don't understand what you're doing, God, but I'm willing to trust you that you are the God of all and you deserve all glory and honor and I'm going to praise you no matter what happens in life. Or whether it's, God, I'm going to have, I'm going to have your attitude toward pride in my heart and pride outwardly, whatever may be the case, I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to hate it because you hate it. But we need, we need God. And may we see that and understand that and live in light of that. And I, I hope that uh, you've been just as challenged as I have in these uh, from these seven verses in Proverbs that we haven't yet finished and we'll look at and finish, Lord willing, uh, next week and then move on. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the thoughts tonight in verses 3, 4, and 5 that once again stir us to um, contemplate who you are, what you think about things, and contemplate who we are and how we're acting. And I pray, Lord God, that we would we would understand how desperately we need you. And I thank you for giving us this um, compilation of Proverbs that tell us about you and your nature and how you work and that teach us what we need to know for life. And help us to go away different because of what we heard in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you as you live, understanding your need for God. You're dismissed.